Welcome to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, Reiki practitioner, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. Remember my disclaimer, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and is not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, submit it on the podcast page at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join our Facebook group, Wellness Wellness Podcast Tribe. Hello! I just got back from my trip to Austin for Paleo FX. I'm happy to be back in San Diego, even though I had an incredible time, but I cannot wait to share more with you guys about everything that went down at Paleo FX. It will be coming up next episode, and also I'll be writing a blog post recapping some things, so stay tuned for those. I'm just getting back into my routine. I have a while before I travel again, which is nice. I've been traveling so much, so I'm getting back to my routine and just kind of getting to the groove of things. I've been eating out a lot, kind of not sleeping according to my usual schedule, you know, all the things that happen when you travel, and one of the things that happens when I travel, especially to different climates, because even though San Diego is sunny generally Texas Austin Texas is a lot hotter it's more humid and something that happens to me a lot when I travel is that my skin will freak out and that's why it's super important for me to have skincare products I can depend on to help my skin calm down and kind of combat that effectively and that is why I love my clear stem skincare I brought it with me to Texas of course and just since using this I noticed that since when I travel I my skin can rebound so much more quickly because it's pretty common for when you travel to kind of maybe break out or get some more clogged pores just because the humidity is shifting and ClearStem really helps to combat that. ClearStem Skincare is a brand that creates non-toxic, highly effective skincare products that focus on anti-aging and anti-acne. They've really combined wisdom from natural approaches with wisdom from sort of the western medicine approach to create skincare that is not only safe for your skin but just really does work because a lot of the non-toxic products out there just don't work and even just walking around paleo fx i saw some non-toxic skincare brands that i've tried before or even trying there and everything is just filled with coconut oil and i'm like this is just i mean if you are acne prone and your pores get clogged, putting a thick layer of coconut oil on your skin every day is just doing you no good, let me tell you. Um, But this is why I love Clearstem, and I, of course, brought it with me to Texas. Whenever I'm going on vacation, I usually bring two bottles because just in case I ever get sunburn, I will put it on my skin and it helps it go away much faster because basically the stem cells that are in their original serum which is their Cell Renew Collagen Infusion Serum. Really helps just any skin on your body regenerate. I've been putting it also on this scar that I had on my arm. And it's it's been like a week that I've been putting on consistently. And it looks like it's like 50% down. I'm I'm not even joking. It's crazy. But the Cell Renew is the original serum I've been talking about for a long time. 
you just apply it to, um, you shake up the bottle, you apply it to clean skin and let it soak in there. This is going to increase your collagen and elastin production. It helps to suppress any acne hormones in the hair follicle. It contains reishi, so in your skincare, that's going to help reduce the puffiness and any free radical damage while also promoting cell regeneration. There's also some frankincense in there. Frankincense is a really amazing essential oil that helps to reduce acne blemishes, any redness, reduces the appearance of pores, and prevents wrinkles. And then there's some vitamin B5 that's going to help to protect your skin barrier, support the repair process of your skin, and it also acts as a natural hydrator for that ultra glowy look. Since expanding their line though, they have some incredible new products, one of which is the Clarity, which is their AHA, PHA, Mandelic Acid Serum. This is incredible. You guys probably heard me raving about mandelic acid on a previous episode with Kaylee. Mandelic acid is great for reducing the appearance of dark spots, fine lines, any dull looking skin. It's also a great acid if you have sensitive skin. I love using gentle acids as chemical exfoliators because this is really going to like help to promote your skin turnover and gives you that fresh new skin look. And then the AHA and PHA in the Clarity, those are naturally derived acids that are really going to help to kind of dissolve blackheads and polish your skin, makes you look radiant, healthy, glowing. I absolutely love that. And the way you want to apply that is what you would do is you would first apply that to clean skin. Let it soak in, leave it for 15 to 30 minutes with nothing else, and then apply the Cell Renew Collagen Infusion Serum. So those work together. A few of the others that I brought on my trip were the Vitamin Scrub, which is our antioxidant infused cleanser. It has environmentally friendly beads in there. So just really gentle daily exfoliation that helps to smooth the skin and promote a glowy look and then also their gentle clean which is their vitamin infused calming wash so this doesn't have any exfoliating beads this is a really great just everyday cleanser oh my god it smells delicious it helps to soothe your skin increases hydration great for sensitive skin and it also helps to remove makeup so if you want to check out ClearStem, just go to clearstemskincare.com. You can also find their list of pore-clogging ingredients if you are struggling with your skin but you feel like you're doing everything right. Compare your products to that list of pore-clogging ingredients and see if there's anything that might be triggering clogged pores and acne in what you're currently using. And if you are ready to try out some clear stem for yourself, just use the discount code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, for $15 off of your purchase at clearstemskincare.com. I am very excited to introduce you guys to today's guest, Jeremiah Bear. If you don't already follow him on Instagram, you can find him at Jeremiah Bear, B-A-I-R. That will be in the show notes as well. And also his website is barefit.com, B-A-I-R-F-I-T.com. Jeremiah describes himself as the biggest Taylor Swift fan in Lincoln, Nebraska, which I'm all for, but he's also a strength coach, a certified nutrition coach, a fitness writer, and owner of the online coaching business, Barefit. So he sees clients from all over online for fitness and nutrition coaching. I discovered Jeremiah a while back because he used to write for mind pump really regularly. He still does, I believe, a little bit, just not as much as he used to. And he is just one of the smartest humans 
ever, especially in fitness. And I love how he gets into kind of the like really geeky, nerdy side of fitness and nutrition. He talks about things with fitness that I've never even heard of before, like different techniques. And he also is all about just kind of an overall approach looking at lifestyle habits, fitness, nutrition, and working all that in together, which I absolutely love. He has some awesome posts on his website, on Mind Pump, and on Instagram. So I definitely recommend checking those out. So if you are a fitness nerd, you'll love this. So you'll love his content. And also we talk a lot about environment design, which I think is super interesting and discussing kind of how to create habits, break habits, change habits, all of that. You'll also get some great book recommendations in this episode and some awesome gratitude techniques, which I've started to incorporate. So I think you are going to love it. So let's go ahead and hop right into this conversation with Jeremiah Bear. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm super excited to have you on. I've been following you from afar from a while now. I think I first found you because you wrote vlogs for Mind Pump, right? Right, yeah. Are you still writing vlogs for them? I do. It is dialed back a lot as my business has grown. So I do just like one blog a month for them, but not near as much. I think at that point I was doing like, when I first started out, I was doing like eight blogs a month. So I've dialed it back a lot. Yeah, that yeah, that's a lot. Um, so what first got you into like fitness in this whole space? <laughs> Oh, geez. So I first got into fitness um, when I was in high school, before one of my high school football games, I would have these speeches. All the senior captains would do these speeches to like get us hyped up for the game or whatever. And one of the dudes that was standing up there, he was giving a super serious speech, but he was doing like the heck pop thing the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And me and my buddy just thought that was the funniest thing ever. So from then on, we're like on a mission to be able to do that. So as absurd as that is, that's like, that's what first got me into fitness. And then I got really into, I just fell in love with nerding out about all different aspects of like program design, how you can use nutrition to change your body, so on and so forth. I got super into that. Um, going into my senior year of college, I really, like, still had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Like, honestly, all I really felt like I cared about was working out more or less and, like, learn more about it, almost to a concerning degree. So, it's like, well, I'm going to start personal training, I guess. So, I started personal training at the rec center, and I actually hated it. I had all um, foreign exchange students, which, nothing wrong with that at all, but none of them could speak any English. Mm-hmm. It was so hard to like try to figure out how to coach these people through it. Yeah. Um. Eventually, I picked out. I picked up a dude named Daniel, and he actually he got really really good results, and he was so stoked about it. One day he came in and he said, "I've always shot the J Crew. I've never been able to buy a pair of pants there because he said they don't make pants for bad people." And I just got my first pair of pants from J. Crew, And this dude was so stoked about it. I felt like like at that moment, like it's such a little thing. But for me, something really clicked then. And ever since then, I've just been in love with the training side of it. So, yeah, that's I mean, it started out just wanting to be able to do the peg pop dance. But since then, it's really like I've fallen in love with helping other people and like how good that makes me feel also. Yeah. What were you studying in college? 
So I started out as nutrition, exercise, and health. But again, like at the start of college, I was I pretty much just cared about partying, honestly. So like two semesters into retaking chemistry, I was like, nah, this isn't for me. So I ended up with a business management degree with a focus on entrepreneurship, which is kind of all your teachers and entrepreneurship classes for anybody out there that's considering this. None of them actually like built a business, which is weird. <laughs> but so I don't know how much how much good the degree did me, but yeah, I have a business degree. Oh my gosh, it's like what they say: wh- those who can't do teach. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Um, I mean, sometimes true, sometimes not. But I mean, I'm sure that's still useful. So, so you did study like nutrition. Um, and, I mean, you love geeking out over the exercise side of things. Mm. Do you feel like you're as into nutrition as fit, the fitness part? or? I would honestly say I'm probably more into nutrition, oh, okay. which is weird to me. I was just at a way different point in my life. And, like, I honestly just had no idea what I cared about. And nothing really motivated me. So now, like, again, I, like, I love to get super deep into all this shit. But at the time, it would just... Like, man, chemistry is hard. And, and <laughs> I'm hungover right now. I don't want to work on this. So, yeah, just a different place, I would say. Yeah. So, when you're working with clients, because you like specialize in fat loss, basically, right? Yes. Yes. Do you feel like the nutrition or the fitness side of things is more important? Oh, most definitely the nutrition side of things. So, I mean, because that's the probably the biggest mistake that or the biggest misconception people come to me with is just they've been stuck in a cycle for years and years of trying to burn it off mm-hmm. or either like they've either been in a cycle of restrict, restrict, restrict so hard that they inevitably just follow the wagon and binge. And then they're kind of just stuck in this purgatory of dieting really hard for a couple of weeks and then like too hard for them to handle and then fall off the wagon for a couple of weeks. So they never change. Or just trying to exercise a ton and eat whatever without really paying too much mind to nutrition. So either way, I mean, the amount of calories we burn through exercise is so small. I think it's about, what they say, approximately 5% of your total daily calories burn are via exercise. So, I mean, if you think of that, for fat loss, because at the simplest level, fat loss does come down to calories in, calories out. And obviously, we can make it much more complicated than that. But that's it at its simplest level. So if you're not controlling calories in at all, and you're just exercising, which is such a small portion of your daily calories, then you're not really going to lose very much fat. Okay. So let's let's talk a little bit about nutrition then, since you're into this so like let's say you have someone who's on that dieting really hard and then binging and then dieting really hard they're on that train how are you going to get them out of that okay okay so yeah yeah I always like to like my initial call with my online clients I always like to start by breaking down like okay maybe you think that dieting really hard like if we could stick to this a hundred percent this would get you the best results. The most important thing is that you have a diet that you can adhere to for, I mean, it's at least going to take us a couple months. So like the idea isn't to do as much as possible 
the idea is to do as much as necessary to progress. And by like trying to overdo it so much, you're falling off. Like you're really causing yourself to fall the wagon here. So really, I like to take people through trade-offs. So it's like, okay, on this end of the spectrum, we have a lot slower progress, but you can be a lot more social. You'll have a lot more flexibility with foods. You won't track so much, so on and so forth. On this end of the spectrum, we have really fast progress, but you're going to have to make a lot more sacrifices. You're going to be a lot more tired. You're probably going to feel shitty a lot more often. Basically, it's going to be a lot harder. You're going to have to be a lot stricter. Now, tell me, like, which of these trade-offs are you willing to make and which are super important to you you're not willing to give up right now? And that, looking at it from that perspective, I was like, okay, so maybe I'm not willing to give up my social life right now. Or maybe I do want to be able to keep these foods in. That really gives us a lot better idea of where to start with people as opposed to like, we're just going to go balls to the wall right away. So if somebody is willing to be on the side of like, I'm going to make a lot of sacrifices, I'm going to be hungry, I'm going to feel like shit for a bit. um, Right. Are there any long-term like downsides to going that route to like rapid fat loss? Like, is there a long-term like negative effect of that? Okay. Okay. So yeah, like a big thing that gets played up is metabolic damage. So what goes on when we lose weight? Basically, we can break down our metabolism into four main components. You have your basal metabolic rate or your RMR, resting metabolic rate, just like what your body burns at rest for things like breathing, pumping blood, etc. Just if you didn't move at all then, that's your RMR. You have the thermic effect of food, which is the calories you burn digesting food. Um, it's slightly higher for protein. The other macros are a bit lower. You have the thermic effect of exercise, the calories you burn when you exercise, and you have meat, or the calories you burn throughout the rest of the day. So anyways, when we're dieting, all of those, the calories we expend, so the calories outside of the energy, uh, the calories in, the calories out equation does decrease a bit. Because as we lose weight, basically your body gets smaller, so your basal metabolic rate is lower because it just takes fewer calories to, even at rest, kind of run your body. The calories you burn through exercise also decrease because, again, it just takes fewer calories to move a smaller body. Um, Your thermic effect of food is going to decrease a bit simply because you're eating less. And then the amount of the amount of meat meat you get in can also decrease just because straight up if you're eating less, you're gonna be feeling a lot more lethargic. So um I was actually just watching a super interesting presentation on this by James Krieger. So I mean basically going back to that real quick, like that's why when progress stalls, that's what's going on. It's not that you've like damaged your metabolism, like, oh shit, I've eaten too little. Now my metabolism screwed and I'm never going to lose fat again. It's just natural adaptations to basically your body is getting smaller and potentially you feel more lethargic. So you're moving less. So you're expanding fewer calories by not exercising. So going back to talking about meat and yeah, I was watching a super interesting presentation on this by James Krieger. And really they took people that thought they had quote unquote like damaged metabolisms 
and then people that weigh the same amount. So like these were people that had lost a ton of weight and now for whatever reason to maintain that weight, they could eat a lot less than people were that were the same weight, but just naturally. So they hadn't had to go through the weight loss process. So for the people that had lost all the weight, but could eat a lot less to maintain the same weight as the people that were just naturally that weight, those people, they found basically their resting metabolic rate was a bit lower than would be expected. So for the other group, it was like 50 to 100 calories lower per day, which I mean over time is still a bit of a difference, but it's not huge. But then as far as NEAT, the amount of energy they expend just through daily movement, it was like a huge difference, like anywhere from, and there were all kinds of different studies on this, but it was anywhere from like 500 calories a day difference to up to, like I know the variance can be like up to 2,000 calories a day and the difference between what people expend through need. So that's normally like when we think that people have slow metabolisms, when people say like, oh, this she's so lucky she has a fast metabolism and I have a slow metabolism, it's really from like what studies are showing, it really seems to be that it's just some people's need is much lower than others. Some people just do less daily movement. Now, a lot of this is also hereditary. So it's saying like, like you see me right now, how much I'm fidgeting. <laughs> just things like that. Like some people just come from families of fidgeters, things like that. So people do naturally, some people just naturally move a lot more than other people. And that accounts for like a huge difference over time. So, yeah. So as far as like damaging your metabolism, as far as like what research shows, that seems to be the biggest consensus there. Okay. So basically you're saying it's the neat that's the issue. Yes, exactly. But what about, I feel like there are plenty of people who their neat isn't that big, like, it's not that big a difference. I know I know plenty of people who get the same amount of steps as other people, but it's like they've crash dieted and now they're eating 1,200 calories a day to maintain their weight versus had they done it in a different way, they could have they could be eating 2,000 calories a day and at the same weight. Like or like the whole concept of reverse dieting, you know? Like right, how does that right. jive with that? And I mean, there are a, there are some like anecdotal cases of like okay, yeah, like make this for whatever reason, like she is eating so few calories, and it does really seem like she has she's dotted all her T's and cross cross all her T's and dotted all her eyes, and everything she should be losing for whatever reason she isn't. Um, and I mean there. Pretty much here, just from like what I've seen and from all my anecdotal experience with clients, it seems like, okay, if we can get you measuring food extremely, so measuring your intake extremely accurately, we can get you focusing more or hitting a daily movement goal and we can get you sleeping enough. If we can check all those boxes, then generally I, I have yet to experience somebody that like, okay, once we know all those factors are on point then they can't lose fat. Okay. So let's talk about the NEAT a little bit more. So does this mean that, like, you focus a lot on getting your clients to increase their NEAT? Is that, like, your main goal? Oh, absolutely. So, so yeah. So we always set we always set at least three things that we track daily. So with my clients, it'll normally be, 
like something movement related, which is almost always a daily movement goal. So pretty much it's just figure out where you're at right now as far as daily steps, and we're going to bump that up by a couple thousand. Normally people can realistically do eight to 10,000, and then after that, it starts to take away from the daily life. But I have them track that every day in an accountability sheet so we can see, just to make sure they're staying on top of that. And then we'll also do like a food-related one, so like maybe tracking your macros. Then I like to do uh, like a self-care-related one also, so like some type of morning, nighttime routine, something like that. But yeah, definitely put, because it does make such a huge difference. And I mean, even if, like you have all your all your macros are on point, but over the span of a week, you have like three or four days where you're three or four thousand calories below your step goal, or three or four thousand steps below your step goal. That's gonna add up to a lot of calories, and that will take away from that'll take a lot away from that deficit you were trying to create by the diet. Okay, is so you talked about like after ten thousand steps, it tends to take away. From their life? Are there any other, like, I don't know. I mean, they've done studies where they compare um, or looked at different populations of people who are active all day, right, and doing so Mm -hmm. much work and walking around all day and getting, like, 20, 30,000 steps versus um, populations where they're getting, like, eight to 10,000 steps, and it's, like, they're they're burning the same amount during the day. So it's, like, is there, like, an upper limit to how many steps are beneficial? As far as, like, how well you adapt to that. Yeah. That is honestly, for me, I've never, like, had – that's a really good question. Yeah. I've, like, really never had – like, I know for me personally, like, I sit at my desk all day, so it's hard for me to get more than 10,000 steps a day. Mm -hmm. And, like, for my clients as well, it's just, like, like, really that's as much as they can maintain with their current lifestyle. That's a really good question, honestly, because so the people that were burning, that were taking 20 to 30,000 steps a day were burning the same amount of calories as the people that were taking 10,000 steps mm-hmm. a day. Mm-hmm. That is so, okay. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I would guess just like obviously this adaptation, but that's, yeah, I've honestly. Well, I ask everybody that, so don't worry. And everyone says, I don't right. know. Um, I just am curious <laughs> because I'm like, because to me, I see, I'm like, I think people can adapt to neat the same way they can cardio. Right. No, exactly. Um, So, well, okay. Also, so you said you sit at your desk most of the day. So how do you work in your movement, your steps? So I try to, I mean, right in Nebraska right now, there are, is like three feet of snow on the ground. So it's a lot more of a grind, but I straight up right now, I've just been pacing around my living room. Normally when it's nice out, I'll like go for a 10 minute walk in the morning and then just split my work up with, like, chunks of 10 to 20-minute walks. Um, lately, since it's been so cold, it's, like, straight up pace around my living room for 10 to 15-minute chunks. Um, try to walk as much as possible between sets at the gym. Mm-hmm. And then hop on the treadmill to hit the rest of my steps after my workout normally. Okay. How do you track? So I actually just have it like my step counter on my iPhone. Okay. I don't even have a Fitbit or anything like that just because I get so sucked into any technology that I like try to distance myself from that as much as possible. So yeah, it's just on my phone. What do you mean you get so sucked into any technology? Just like social media, anything like that. Just I'm, ad- I'm already addicted enough to my phone. Mm-hmm. I don't want to also have 
like an Apple Watch where I'm getting notifications blowing me up even more often. Okay. It's it's a good it's I mean I don't get notifications, but I like to see it. I think it's really interesting to compare phone so I have three. I have my aura ring, I have my Fitbit, and I have my phone. And I okay. I'll compare them because they all are different. <laughs> okay. Um, Your steps are? Yeah. Like by how much? Okay, usually, okay, sometimes my phone will be like 2,000 lower. The phone Seriously? doesn't pick up as much, yeah. Um, Damn, that's crazy. Yeah, the, the aura, my aura ring and my Fitbit are usually like within 1,000 of each other. Um, okay. But it could say, like, one might say I have like 12,000, one might say I have 13, or, you know, like. Right. Um, but it's just interesting to see. It's like none of the, I think when people are so obsessed with like what the phone says and like you just got to get in like the the general area because none of them are totally (laughs) accurate you know absolutely absolutely i mean it's kind of like tracking your calories like it's not going to be perfect but the the point is you're doing something consistently and you're paying attention to it consistently Mm -hmm. okay so let's let's dive more into like nutrition um right let's talk about macros and how you help someone figure out what macros to follow or do you even do you do that at all or do you just go straight by calories or what do you do with your clients yeah so again on the initial call we break down like okay what's going to be easiest for you because there's a couple different options we can go here so for a lot of people we don't even track macros actually just assign them portion sizes um something i pulled from precision nutrition i think it's called a handful diet but it's just like your portion sizes are based on different measurements you make with your hand and we assign them just the, those portions. And then here's some good whole foods you can plug into this. Here's some rest. Here's some different recipes. So basically, it's just like if you don't want to get super into tracking calories, tracking macros, it's all good. We can still make a lot of progress with this. We're going to get them eating more whole foods. So super simple, but really effective as well. Now, that is it's like, OK, so there. Like, it works great, but again, it's like if you do want to potentially get a little bit faster progress, then we can get you tracking your macros. So, I mean, again, it's really whatever the client thinks is easiest to stick to. So, like, honestly, I've been pushing a lot more of my people towards just using the portion sizes because if they just want to look better and feel better, like, they don't honestly really want to track. Mm-hmm. And even – or even like my clients that do want quicker results – I normally eventually try to transition them over to this unless they see themselves tracking for the rest of their lives. It's just you always have your hands with you. So you can like at a restaurant, pretty much wherever you are, you'll be able to eyeball like how much of something you need to eat. So I I love to at least like educate people on how to use that because I feel like it sets them up a lot better for the rest of their lives. Even if they are going to be like dieting down super hard, Mm -hmm. it'll be useful to have in the future. But if somebody does want to track, then again, it's like, okay, how much can you do here? So we can start you off with a strictly calorie goal. If you want to be a little bit more intense, we can do a calorie goal and a protein goal. Or we can have you tracking all your macros, and you're going to try to hit your macro targets within 3 to 5 grams of fat and 5 to 10 grams of protein and carbs. So again, there, like macros are obviously the most time-consuming, but they'll yield the quickest results. Calories are the easiest, but not as quick of results. 
Okay, so let's talk more about macros. Like, what do you... I mean, right now we have this big keto movement going on. Um, and then we have our anti-keto vegans who are like only carbs. I mean, I'm seeing some crazy shit on the internet right now. So where are you standing no. with different macro tribes? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I feel super nervous through it. Like, I have one client right now that is super into keto. So, like, for her, if I just took her on right away and I was like, no, nah, you're not going to do keto. I'm going to feed you a ton of carbs. Mm-hmm. She probably wouldn't stick to my plan very well. People mm-hmm. want autonomy. So really for me, if like some if a client has something like that deeply ingrained in their head already, I'm not gonna be like, yo, no, this isn't how we're gonna do it. Like I really try to meet them where we're at and like maybe if I do like maybe gently nudge them to eat carbs. Just mm-hmm. a couple just like add carbs slowly. But I mean really for most people I've found that most of us feel best with just a pretty balanced diet of protein, carbs, and fats. Like for me, that's the preferred approach. But I mean, really, I like to ask my clients, where do you feel better? Do you prefer more fats or more carbs? Like we're always going to have protein intake is most always going to be between 0.8 and 1 gram per pound of body weight daily. But from there, and that's pretty much a constant, Mm -hmm. but from there, Again, like it's not gonna make a massive difference as long as you have calories on point and protein on point. The ratio of carbs to fat, I mean, we could split hairs obviously, here, obviously, but it's not gonna make a massive difference, which is more. So, I generally err towards like, okay, whichever the client seems to prefer more, and like allowing them to make that decision also like oh i do want higher fat that's going to give them a lot more a lot stronger sense of autonomy as well so they're a lot more likely to stick to the plan what about you what do you do i personally like higher carbs a lot i feel a lot better in the gym on higher carbs so i did straight up like what three four years ago i did a whole year where i did like this really really shitty version of keto so I was following this dude I followed on Instagram. His big thing was Who? fast tone. I can't call him out. <laughs> Fine. You'll tell me later. <laughs> uh, his, his big thing was, I mean, I'm sure if anybody knows him, they'll know who I'm talking about. But his big thing was you fast till noon and then you eat two meals and then you have a car spike at night, which is like banana and peanut butter. Now, again, this is like when I was first getting into uh, this is this is really what spurred me to learn about nutrition because it was terrible. Mm-hmm. But his big thing also was like, for some reason, I was just so bought into like this dude's whole lifestyle. So his big thing was like ground beef and avocados are the way to go. So straight up for probably a year, I ate ground beef and avocados for lunch and dinner. Like, literally every day. And the thing is, like, avocados, I love guac, but the texture of avocados by themselves just makes me gag. <laughs> so this shit got to be, like, for me, it was, like, uh, it was like a mental battle of, like, me versus these avocados every day. Like, I was like, okay, I just got to do it. I just got to, like, now, like, in the mornings when I wake up, I try to, like, take a cold shower because I like the idea of, like, 
forcing yourself to do something you don't want to do, right? <laughs> so for me then, I guess it was the avocados. Mm-hmm. So it was like straight up like a battle and I'd be gagging and shit, just trying to get these avocados down. But yeah, that went on for a year and I lost 45 pounds doing that. But I also felt like so terrible. I straight up, like I honestly think at that time I got to where I, Cause I got to where I was really scared of, cause I was doing a low carb diet then. And I was like, I really believed at that point, like if I started eating carbs again, I would get fat, mm-hmm. which is a super unhealthy place to be. But I mean, I lost 45 pounds on this diet. I probably, I didn't realize at the time that it wasn't that I was just eating fat and not carbs, but I was starving myself because every time I ate, I wanted to puke. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, <laughs> okay. But yeah. So, well, so felt pretty terrible on that. Okay. Well, I want to talk more about that because I think a lot of people listening to this have had that same experience being on a low carb diet for a while and they whether or not they want to verbalize it are scared like okay, if I eat carbs again, am I going to get fat? So Right. How did you transition out of that and like I don't know what would you say to somebody who is thinking that in their heads right now if they're in that position? Yeah, yeah. And I was actually just DMing a dude about this. So I mean, for me, it was just looking at actually my strength in the gym. So when I started this diet, I felt like I was relatively strong. And then I remember by the end of it, I just like had no strength at all. Like I could barely do a chin up, everything, like all my joints hurt. I just felt terrible. So just paying more and more attention to that and actually learning more about how carbs affect your body. Like, hey, they don't make you fat. They actually are going to help you build strength, give you a lot more energy in the gym. To me, it was just learning more about that and just kind of getting away from the dogma of, like, thinking they're going to make me fat. That was the biggest thing for me, just, like, focusing on, like, how I felt after I ate carbs. So, like, I started – for me, I started by, like, okay – I'm still kind of scared of this, but I'm just going to start eating carbs before I go to the gym. And then I was like, oh, wow, I feel really good. And I was also tracking a lot of my body measurements and my strength. So my strength was going up and my body measurements, like my belly actually were staying the same, if not decreasing. So then I was like, oh, wow, look at this. Like (laughs) I'm actually improving and I'm eating carbs. I don't feel terrible. I don't have to have this like crazy battle with avocados every day. Mm -hmm. This is so much better. So did did you gain weight back when you in, increased carbs more or no? No. Okay. No. So I mean, I got like I got stronger. Um, I think then I had I lost about I had hurt my shoulder and I had put on a lot of weight, which is like another story. But basically, I'd gotten like, sort of fat, so mm-hmm. it was like I needed to lose weight, but it also came to. Like, I lost a ton of muscle in the process just because I was, like, straight up starving myself. And, like, going back to the degree of how fast you lose weight or how strictly you're dieting, we break down, like, muscle loss and whatnot there as well. But, like, I built muscle. So, over time, like, I mean, yeah, my weight increased. But, again, like, my body measurements were going down, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Do you think that when you lost that 45 pounds on that l- low-carb 
that's really freaking weird. The banana, the banana. <laughs> it wasn't even like a keto diet. Yeah, I'm like, just... do you think that that was a function of it being a lower carb or just like calories re- reduced? Oh, it was it was just calories because I mean it wasn't a keto diet either. Mm-hmm. And again, like I think the keto diet can definitely be healthy. Like I'm really not attached to any one diet. Mm-hmm. Just just when it gets to like the place where I was, where I was so scared to eat any other foods because I thought I'd like get fat overnight. That is not a very healthy place to be. Okay. So when you're helping people with fat loss and they have to reduce their caloric intake, um, is it normal? Okay. And let's say they're going the slow route, the slow and steady route. Um, Mm -hmm. is it normal for them to be feeling really hungry? So, I mean, if they're going slow and steady, they probably won't be too terribly hungry now. But, I mean, if they are, really we'll look at food quality. So, okay, are you eating a lot of processed foods right now? Because, I mean, if they are, your processed foods, like, so even if they're hitting their calorie goals, their protein goals, and losing weight, but they're doing it by eating a bunch of highly processed foods, which are designed to basically make you want to crave more, Mm -hmm. then, yeah, they are going to be a lot hungrier. So there we'll just look at, like, okay, so where could we make some swaps here to instead of you eating this, where could we, like, add more volume, fill you up a bit more? Now there we could also look at things like, okay, how many hours a night are they sleeping? So, or maybe they're super stressed. So basically when you undersleep, or when you're under a lot of stress, you release more of the hormone cortisol. Now, when cortisol is released, ghrelin, the hunger hormone, is released with it. So under sleeping or under a lot of stress, then, yeah, you're going to be a little bit hungrier as well. So those are some more things we look at. And that's where getting into, like I talked about, implementing like morning or nighttime routines mm-hmm. with clients as well. That is a huge part of that, like why I do that. And most all my clients... I make them do at least something like, call it self-care time. So at least like 10 to 15 minutes at the very least where, okay, you're going to carve this out. I want you to figure out something to do like journaling and meditating are two huge ones, but something that's just going to help you relax, get in a more parasympathetic state, just breathe and just calm down a little bit. Okay. Can you describe a good morning routine and a good evening routine? Give me an example. Okay. Okay. So like for a good morning routine, I like to start off with a positive focus. So basically taking something from yesterday that is kind of bummed you out or has you feeling negative and flip it to how, how is this actually a positive? And then from there, just listing out three things you're grateful for. Um, and then I pretty much always like to give people trying to meditate and journal and then one of my, my all-time favorite is sending a text to someone, and it has to contain either the words love or appreciate. And then from there, like if you do that in the morning, you're going to be in such a better place mentally that it'll really carry over to the rest of your day. Okay. I love that. Okay. I want to start texting people that. Good, good Dude, tip. Do it. No, it's really uncomfortable sometimes because it's – I, I try to do for myself 
you can't text the same person in a month. So you have to get like kind of, oh, this is really uncomfortable. But yeah. afterwards, you always feel so good. I am going to try and do that challenge. I love that challenge. Um, good. I'm going to hold you to that. Okay. We'll see how it goes. I, <laughs> I don't know if I like that many people. <laughs> But we'll see. We'll see. Um, I'll find ways to like them. So, <laughs> so what about um, evening routine? So there is more of the same. So this really ties into your sleep. So this is normally, honestly, before a morning routine, we normally have to tie in an evening routine because most people, when they start, have really poor sleep. Mm-hmm. They'll talk about like waking up a lot at night or they can't fall asleep. So here we're basically trying to get you out of your head before you go to bed so you can get a lot better sleep. And all this sounds so simple, but seriously, it's a game changer for most people, myself included. So I normally have people first just journal before they go to bed because otherwise journaling for me and for most of my clients, it seems like doing a brain dump journaling session right now we have, just a loop of thoughts constantly in our head and like could be laying in a bed and it's just a constant loop over and over for whatever reason, writing or typing it all out just seems like it gets all that out of your head and onto the paper. So the thoughts don't really bother you anymore. Mm-hmm. And then once you have that done, that is pretty much always my go-to when people are having trouble sleeping. And then it's like, okay, if you're good to do a little bit more time, Let's work in like some journaling or some reading or meditation as well. But journaling seems to be the biggest game changer there. Okay. And for me personally, I just do journaling and then meditation. Okay. How many hours of sleep do you try and get your clients to have? Uh, seven to eight. Okay. I'm curious. Like, I mean, I hear almost every single person I talk to tells me that they wake up throughout the night. Um, what mm-hmm. do you find, what do you think is the cause of that for most people? So for most people, it seems like, and I'm far from an expert on this, yeah. but for most people, again, just anecdotally, it seems like one, if they're just super stressed before they go to bed, mm-hmm. um, where their caffeine intake is at throughout the day. So I also normally tell people to try to cut off their caffeine by like noon or one because mm-hmm. that can disrupt their sleep. Um, how recently you've eaten before going to bed. So trying to cut off meals like two hours before bed is a good idea as well. And then just you wake up because you have to pee. So straight up cutting off water an hour or two before you go to bed as well. And normally between all that, that'll take care of it for the most part. Okay. Do you personally have any technology restrictions like before go to going to bed or like Eliminate like when you wake up, do you wait to use your phone or anything? So, when I wake up, I have two hours blocked out where I just stay off of my like for for me, that's my time where I meditate, journal, I try to learn something, so on and so forth. So, when I wake up, um, I tell my clients to stay off their phone before they go to bed and their computer, but I'm honestly terrible about that. Mm -hmm. Like, that's probably my biggest struggle or like working straight up till I go to bed. I'm the same. Those so are the hard, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But no, that would definitely be a lot more ideal. So I'm a lot better with in the mornings at night. I'm honestly terrible about it, but yeah, I normally tell people at least don't like lay in bed and look at your phone. Yeah. Your bed is strictly for sleeping. 
you're not reading, watching TV, anything else like that in your bed. What time do you get up and go to sleep? I'm curious. I go to sleep between 11 and 11.30, and I get up between 6.30 and 7. Okay. And then, so you're just, like, blocked off till 9. It's just you time. Yep, yep. Okay. Is that when, when, and then when do you go to the gym? It really depends on the layout of my day. Normally, it's somewhere between 1 and 3. So, like, after 9 a.m. for me, have you read the book Deep Work? No, but I want to. Super interesting. You should. Mm -hmm. Basically, for me, from 9 a.m. till like noon or one is when I'm the most productive and like my brain is working the best. So that's my deep work time, basically. So that's when I'm going to like, well, right after I get off, right after nine, when my routine's done, I have a half hour blocked out where I check all my client stuff, respond to any emails, things like that quick. Then I get into deep work for like three to four hours. And that's just, that's when I'll like write blogs, anything that's super mentally intensive. That's when I'll do that. And then by the time that's up, my brain normally feels shot. So I'll go work out for an hour or two. I'll be feeling better by then and then get back to it. Okay. Gotcha. So I feel like this kind of somewhat leads into, I know you've been really into this whole concept of environment design. Um, mm-hmm. can you like, let's talk about this, explain to you what that means and like, what your, what your thoughts are around this. Yeah, for sure. So for me, this came about because one, I was super stressed that like, I think it was October, November, like right when everybody quits feeling motivated to get fit. And all of a sudden, like my clients were getting way worse results just straight up because they it seemed like they were less motivated and I felt like relying on my clients to just constantly be motivated wasn't really a good strategy for me to get them results long term so like okay how can we like work around this and then for myself this was also the same time where I started training online full-time so I had to just quit the gym where I was and like same thing for me it was like every morning I would wake up Soon my alarm a couple times, like look at my phone in bed. And then by the time I was ready to get to work, it was like noon. So I was like, okay, I have like, I don't know why, like I want to work more. I have to work more, but at the same time, like I'm kind of screwing myself over here. So, um, just kind of looking at a way to environment design is basically instead of relying on constantly being motivated or having enough willpower to do something, Instead, just looking at ways to set up the environment around you or establish better habits so that you don't have to rely on willpower so much. Like I always tell people, um, willpower is pretty much a limited resource. So, and when we run out of it, we're going to rely on our habits. I was actually just writing a blog about this. Um, and because I can't normally quote studies, that's why the disclaimer, but 45% essentially of our behavior we do every day is habitual, according to this Duke study, which is crazy to think about, right? So, like, 45% of what you do every day is essentially, like, outside your conscious control. It's not something you're thinking about or really something that you're doing. Now, the environment that we're in is also full of cues that will trigger, like, certain behaviors and whatnot. Again, going back to the blog I was just writing, um, another study was talking about 
they were looking at this group of students at the start of the new year, and they were setting their intentions to, um, as far as how much they would exercise, I think it was read the newspaper and watch TV. So they looked at, they like measured these students, the strength of their habits in regards to all those aspects previously. And then they had them establish their intentions. Now, some of these students were staying put at the same university and some of these students were transferring to a new university slash a new environment, basically. So the students that stayed at the same university or stayed in the same environment, say they had intentions to exercise more, watch TV less, so on and so forth. The ones that stayed at the same university weren't really able to follow through with those intentions, whereas the ones that moved to a new university, for the most part, they were all able to follow through on like actually being able to exercise more, um, watch TV less, whatever. Basically, the idea is they changed their environment, and so they were therefore able to act intentionally instead of by habit. So for me, it's like looking around. And have you read the book Atomic Habits? No. Okay. Okay. Anyways, anyways, super, super interesting. So he breaks down how habits are formed by the habit loop. So there's a cue, which is like some type of trigger, which causes a craving. Mm -hmm. The feeling you get, okay, I want to eat this. There's the response, which is the actual physical act of like pursuing the craving and then the reward which is like the dopamine rush you get after eating something so breaking everything down into the habit loop like that something has been super interesting for me now normally this applies to food so like say say you're having trouble with like every time you walk by the fridge you or you like walk by the counter and there's a box of cereal so you grab a handful of cereal. So like breaking that down into like, okay, what's my cue here? What's the craving? What's the response? And what's the reward? And then if we can just get rid of any of those, like if you can get rid of any piece of the habit loop, then the habit is a lot easier to break or it goes away. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, definitely. It was, I actually just, I was at a conference last weekend and Chris Kresser gave a talk like, basically exactly like this um getting people to change their habits and he's talking about the habit loop yeah so um I mean it makes so much sense I think it's just I think it's hard for people to think of like replacement behaviors um Mm -hmm. slash figuring out how to get rid of some of the cues if it's circumstantial do you know what I mean like if that's where they're working if that's where they're living so um but yeah I think it's really it's really fascinating So as far as like, yeah, like say you're in a workplace, just basically changing what you can see is the biggest thing. So like, for example, if I have clients that have trouble with, okay, there's always this table at work stocked with donuts, right? And I always get those. So it's like, okay, let's, is there anything you can put up to block your line of sight to that table? And let's also like stock your snack or stock your desk up with healthy snacks that are always in your light of sight and are always ready available. So for you, okay, so you're always going to be munching on apples or whatever. You're going to be full. It's much, and if you're hungry, it's much easier for you to just 
grab this apple off your desk than it is for you to walk way over there and grab a donut. That makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious how you've how you utilize this in your own life. Like, were there any habits this helped you break? So going back to the when I first started doing just strictly online coaching, for me the worst one was again like we talked about. I would hit snooze so many times. I'd lay in bed, look at my phone, mm-hmm. and then just take a long ass shower. And by the time I got done with all that. I would have like a couple hours left to work in the day. So, and I mean, all this sounds so simple. It almost sounds dumb, but it is so effective. Like for me, it's just been before I go to bed every night, I set my phone alarm and then put it across my room on my desk. Then I also have all my clothes there ready to go. So I literally have to get up. I have caffeine mixed up right by my phone too. So I can just drink that. So I'm not going to go back to bed and I have another alarm set so I can only be in the shower for like five minutes. Otherwise, my alarm is constantly annoying me until I get out. Mm-hmm. So for me, honestly, just that has been the biggest one. Just like actually forcing me to get up, stay off my phone and like get my day started has been huge. Yeah, well, I think that's for a lot of entrepreneurs really helpful. I know I definitely have trouble in the morning getting going. <laughs> um, so I think that that's great. Okay, so let's right. see. Yeah. Um, what about with clients in terms of food? What do you, you have them just replace it with something healthier or what if they're already eating healthy food and they just like are snacking? So like they're eating healthy food, but they're snacking. So they're like, say a fat loss client. Yeah. But they're okay. But like they're having trouble with snacking. Yeah. They're just like, it's like they're eating healthy food. They're eating good, but it's just like, they're eating kind of out of, you know, they get home from a long day at work and they want to eat more. Okay. They don't really okay. Need so, to. yeah. 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 So, there that is. And again, I'm not like fasting is an interesting thing, but it's nothing magical for fat loss. Mm-hmm. But there, as far as like, so somebody that, like somebody that has trouble snacking at night, for example. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not that eating at night is bad but if it's like pushing them way over their calorie goal then it is derivative to their goals so they're actually the most useful thing for me has been actually establishing eating with time for when they're done eating so like for example there like if they found themselves always snacking at like 9 p.m say okay like you have to eat your last meal of the day by 8 p.m and no more after that like you can fit all your calories in then and then from the psychological side of things, it just seems like for just knowing, just knowing the option is completely off the table really helps for mom. So what if, because I see this a lot, I have so, I, a lot of, and I know it's because they're stressed out. Night eating is a big problem with a lot of people I talk to. And oh, yeah. so what it, so, so you could tell them that be like, Hey, we got to get, you know, all the food needs to be done by 8 p.m. Right. Um, but what if they're like, it's 9.30, I'm like starving, like I'm so hungry, like, and I know I can't eat. So then wh- what do you tell them? Do you have them just like fight through it or what? So, I mean, there it would be like, okay, if, and I mean, it wouldn't always be a cutoff window either. Like we could also just like maybe we could experiment if it worked better for you to actually just shift most of your calories towards the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And if that works better for you that could be a good approach too. But 
if we'd established that like the cutoff time worked better, they were absolutely starving. I would say like, okay, let's just make like a big salad, something with a ton of volume. It's going to be super filling without a lot of calories and just do that. Okay. Interesting. Cool. Well, is there anything else related to environment design that you wanted to touch on? I think that pretty much covers it. I mean, I always like to tell my clients, like, basically here, we're just trying to remove friction or remove the need for willpower as much as possible. So these are things like, like meal prep is a huge one, honestly. I used to not be big on meal prep, but it does help a ton. Because like how many times we always start our weeks like, okay, this is going to be the week that I'm going to cook a healthy meal, every single meal. And then like Wednesday night comes around, if you're super stressed, like whatever, I'm just exhausted. I don't feel like cooking. I'm just going to order pizza. So, and I mean, that's probably everybody can relate to that, right? Mm -hmm. So basically you're had a long day at work, whatever reason, your willpower is a lot lower. So if we already have meals prepped ahead of time, at that point, literally the path of least resistance is just going to be grabbing a prep meal out of the fridge and eating that instead. So I always try to get my clients at least for, I tell them, think of like your most stressful times throughout the week or your most stressful meals. And we're going to at least prep ahead for those. And that'll set you up for success a lot better. And then it's just straight up like scheduling what times you're going to prep, um, scheduling workout times. Like if you, again, if you're just like, oh, I'm going to probably find three times to work out this week, something is always going to fill your time and that's not going to happen. So having that scheduled ahead of time, uh, just, it's really just simple things like going to the gym with a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, people that drive home to change from work and then go to the gym after that always are so much less likely. Like you're inevitably going to see the grocery store, like, oh, I need to stop there, and then whatever, have a glass of wine at home. But, again, it's a lot less likely to happen. So, if anything, I would tell clients that have to choose before work or after work to work out. Before work seems to be a little bit more ideal because, again, earlier in the day, you made less decisions, so you're going to have more willpower to be able to get there. But if you do have to go after work, take a gym bag with you and for sure go straight to work. Um, ordering groceries online is actually another big one that I've been on lately because just like wandering around the store, you see so much stuff that looks so tempting, but just ordering all your groceries online, literally, I mean, you just go, they dump it in your car, you're good to go. You're a lot less likely to have all this stuff in your house that's derivative to your goals. And for most people are even saying that it saves them a lot of money also. And then finally, again, from like the decision fatigue side of things, sometimes for some of my clients, it seems like reducing the number of meals. So like if they were trying to eat six meals a day, which is pretty unnecessary and a lot for most people, yeah, reducing that to like three, again, if just three times a day you have to decide to eat congruent with your goals instead of six times a day, your odds of choosing the right foods every time are a lot higher. Yeah, that's actually really good. Another really good argument for less meals during the day. You don't have to think about it as right. much. Yeah. The, exactly. gr- the gr- online grocery shopping, like, I've been thinking about this a lot recently, and it makes total sense. And I just think about, like, I saw a commercial for it the other day, and I'm like, what? 
world do I live in now where like we're so first first of all this laziness factor we're like all of these things we do we get everything delivered like actually I was watching at Walmart it was a Walmart commercial and like you could have your you could pick what you're buying and then pick like pick it up and I'm like we're so lazy but then there's also this issue of like what you're saying it makes total sense like when you go in the store you want to buy everything but then I'm like okay we live in this world now where we're just so tempted by all this bullshit like it's just so sad to me like right. like all this hyper palatable nonsense and we are like <laughs> it's it's like all this other stuff has so much control over our brains it's really just a testament to the primitive brain right but i don't know it's funny it's it's a good point though i mean getting groceries delivered really does help because when i know whenever i go into a grocery store i buy like three times as much as i need exactly um, so it's fine but okay well while we're on the the, the workout discussion let's roll into um f- actual fitness things um and like proper program design and i'm wondering what kind of like the biggest mistake you see people making when it comes to workout programming is okay okay for sure so yeah i like to build all my clients programs around first we want to focus on your movement pattern so Basically, we can break all our movements down into squat, hinge. So like a squat is obviously squatting type motion. A hinge would be like a deadlift type motion. A lunge or some type of single leg movement. Pushing, which is upper body. And then, so like pushing in front of you or pushing overhead. Mm -hmm. And then pulling. So either in a rowing pattern from in front of you towards you or from overhead down. So... As long as we train a uh, squat, hinge, lunge, push, pull, as long as we train each of those weekly, you're going to be building a pretty well-balanced body. Now, the most common mistake that most people make is just straight up training the muscles they can see, which will be like your squat muscles and your push muscles. So like, I mean, and I've been there, like dudes that just train chests or just train chest and quads. The thing is, the muscles on our posterior, so the pull muscles, your hinge and pull muscles, are responsible for stabilizing so much of you that if they're weak, you're going to have a lot of pain. So, like, your hamstrings play a big role in stabilizing your knees. If you have weak glutes, your low back is probably going to hurt. If you have a weak upper back, then your upper back stabilizes your shoulders. So then you're most you're likely to have shoulder pain, and this is where where really really people train like all the muscles on the front side of their body a ton, and really neglect the back side just because they're harder to see, and harder to feel, but that normally results in people being in chronic pain, they have really bad imbalances, poor posture. So I always like to tell people, try to pull at least twice as much as you push. So again, like hinging. Hinging and rowing, any muscle with your posterior, any of, anytime you're training your posterior muscles, you're going to be pulling, basically. And that's a pretty good rule of thumb to follow. Now, especially, like, the rowing pattern, pulling from in front of you towards you, is super important. Just because, especially, like, working on our, even, like, working on our computers all day, we're constantly using the muscle on the front side of our body, and we always neglect the muscles on the back side of our body. So we're going to pull forward in poor posture, get shoulder pain. So putting special emphasis on the rowing pattern and then on the glutes and hamstrings 
is really something that I push just because that is probably the most common mistake people make. Yeah. Okay. Quite personal question. Yes. I have been told I'm quad dominant. Okay. Super common. So how do I fix that? Okay. So you are quad dominant. What does your lower body training look like? Oh God. Uh, maybe this is too complicated of a question. I don't know. I probably squat. I probably right squat too much. I haven't been recently. I've just been doing my other friend's program. Um, okay. But it was. It's been okay. So she told me this. Jessica Rothenberg told me this, and she told me that like actually a while ago. So uh-huh. maybe I'm not as bad since I did anabolic and then this other thing. Um, right. But. I mean, before that, I was just, like, doing a lot of squats. Okay, yeah. And so the thing is, like, squats have gotten a reputation as a good, like, builder for your butt. But for most people, they're a lot more quad dominant. Mm -hmm. Now, women tend to be a lot more quad dominant than men even. Just because their knees, due to having wider hips, your knees fall more towards the midline of your body. So you will recruit more quads naturally. So... Really, it's – I like to start off with just doing some glute and hamstring activation before you train lower body. And then really, at least for a bit, as you focus more on just connecting and feeling the muscles of your backside work, staying away from more traditional quad-dominant movements, which would be things like squats or forward lunges and focusing more on like your hinging movements – um, reverse lunges, deadlifts, hip thrust, movements like that, just movements that more traditionally will build your your butt and hamstrings. And again, just every time you train lower body, just put in a lot more focus on before you go into that, doing at least one or two glute and hamstring, hamstring activation movements. So this would be something like just like a banded hip thrust, like hit two sets of 15 to 20, and like a Swiss ball leg curl. And then when you do go back to movements like your squats, I would start off by actually doing like a glute activation or hamstring activation movement literally as a superset right before you squat. So go from something like a bodyweight glute bridge for like 15 to 20 reps right in your squat. And every rep, just focus on really activating your posterior, feeling your glutes and hamstrings work and really just sitting back into the squat. And and that makes a huge difference for most people. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm going to try it. Thanks for the tip. So um, do you think, do you train men and women any differently from each other? Yeah, I mean, it. so there's a couple differences there. For women, you can handle a little bit more volume. Recovery is going to be a little bit better. So women tend to do better with, basically, women tend to be able to train muscles more frequently. So for most women that I train, up to four days a week, they'll follow a full body split, whereas men can't recover as quickly. So men, once you get past like three days a week, an upper-lower or getting to an upper-lower split is great or like an upper-lower push-pull-lower. But just basically for women... It's they can, since they can handle all the frequency and volume a little bit better. Generally, we'll hit full body more often. 
And dudes just seem to enjoy more like if you're doing a full body workout, you're not going to be able to focus on like one muscle group as much. Whereas if we're following like an upper lower split, you'll be able to get where like, oh yeah, I'm hitting all these sets of biceps, getting a great pump going. Guys seem to enjoy that a lot more. So just from like making it more fun for people, mm-hmm. which is a super important aspect of programming as well. Guys seem to like that a lot more. And then it really just comes down to like what muscle groups you want to prioritize. So again, for women, it's normally want to focus more on shoulders and booty. And then guys, it's normally like chest, quads, and maybe back. But I mean, really from the physiological differences, it's like women can train a little bit can handle a little bit more training frequency and they can women also generally have a higher percentage of type 1 fibers so they'll fatigue a little bit slower so their rep ranges be a little bit higher than men but again that's almost getting to the point of splitting hairs but other than that it really comes down to like preference like what muscles do you want to focus on and again what's going to be the most fun for you do you care about getting a pump in the gym or do you want to just focus on these compound lists every time you go in? Okay. Interesting. It's so, I mean, I, like, I've read the research, too. And, yeah, it's just always so counterintuitive to me because I always feel like, I feel like men should be able to recover faster, you know? Like, right. Right. Um, but, okay, so so women four times a week. So do you, in general, you start with full body, and then if a guy wants to move to upper lower, you switch? Yeah, so, I mean, it really depends on your training age and how experienced you are. But for most people, again, I'll say the goal isn't to do as much as possible. The goal is to do as much as necessary. So, like, we can get you great results on three times a week. Let's start you there, three times a week, full body. And then from there, when it's necessary, when your progress stalls, then we have so much room here. We can add more training days, more volume, and keep and keep you progressing here. So, yeah. Normally, I try to start people on the minimum effective dose, mm-hmm. so we, which is typically two to three times a week full body, generally three times a week full body, and then we progress from there. And how long is someone usually in the gym if they're three times a week full body? So normally about an hour. Okay. And do you have them do cardio or just strength? So cardio, it really depends. So before, and I mean, again, it's just priorities. So Cardio is still important, but when it comes to changing your body composition, if you don't have your nutrition on point, if you can't consistently get to the gym and you're not sleeping well, then cardio isn't going to make much of a difference. So I would say let's get those, those big rocks on point first. And then from there, we can work on adding cardio and also like your daily steps. So once you have your daily movement in as well, then from there, like if you want to see quicker progress or I do like to add just a little bit of cardio in as conditioning for my clients once they're to the point where they have all that other stuff dialed in mm-hmm. just because it will help like your interest set recovery, like in between sets you recover a little bit quicker. You'll have a little bit better endurance during your sets as well. So it'll increase your training performance in the gym. So I do like to add for most all my clients once they get a bit more advanced like at least one day, one to two days of like some type of moderate intensity work and then a little bit higher intensity work. Okay. But again, it's all like a scale from, it all depends on where you're at. 
Okay. I'm curious what you think of some people in the wellness space like to make the argument that rather than going to the gym like three to four times a week um, for an hour, it's better to go for like 30 minutes every single day because you're eliminating the decision fatigue of whether or not you should exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, what do you think about that? Doing less, more days a week. I mean, it's an interesting approach. I don't, I just feel like for most people, that's not as realistic as like three to four training sessions a week. You know what I mean? I don't think it's necessarily worse. Like as long as that's like, if you're going, I don't think you're going to be able to do enough and I mean, there's so many factors like how intense are they training and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't like that approach as much just because I feel like it's like once you, the hardest part for most of my people is getting to the gym. Everybody says that all the time. Like once I get to the gym, I'm good. But getting there is the hardest part. Like I dread it when I go mm-hmm. now, like when they're first starting. But so there, if they have to decide that, if they have to force, them, force themselves to do that every day instead of like three to four times a week, I would think that would make it a lot harder. Yeah. Well, I guess I talk to a lot of people who love working out and we're almost on the opposite side of the spectrum. Um, You know, so the the issue isn't like, the issue isn't I can't get to the gym. It's that I, on days when I don't work, if I don't do anything, I feel like a lazy slug. You know, it's like, they're like, I need to do something out, do something um, yeah, no, I get it. And I don't think that that's less optimal. Mm-hmm. I think, again, it's just, like, what fits you the best? How do you feel the best? So, like, if you feel like shit about yourself, if you're not exercising and it's never a problem, like, yeah, go for it. And, like, that's a, that works great if you feel best that way. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's talk about some of your favorite ways to progress that don't involve heavier weights. What are some cool things you can do? Okay, so ways to progress that don't involve heavier weights. So, I mean, if we're talking, so most of my clients want to get stronger and build more muscle at the same time. So, my favorite approach, we can't include heavier weight here at all. My favorite approach would probably be to like start with a weight you could use for eight reps. And then every week, you're just trying to build on that. So, like, instead of Last week you did eight reps. Say you squatted eight reps for you squatted one thirty five for eight reps last week. Mm-hmm. This week, like okay, we're gonna push for nine to ten reps. Then the next week we're gonna push to ten to eleven, and then hit once you hit say twelve reps, then typically add weight and start over. Now from there, the problem is if we're not adding weight, then it pretty much comes to adding more sets. So. I mean, the biggest factor of for hypertrophy, for mm-hmm. increasing the size of your muscles, is going to be increasing the total volume you do over time. The easiest way to really measure your volume is think of it as the number of hard sets you do or the number of sets you do that you finish with one to three reps left in the tank. Okay. So, I mean, that's kind of a boring-ass answer. What about that but, thing I've seen you do where you like, oh, God, I forget what – it's like – You'll do a few reps and then like stop or something and then a few more. It's like you do all these weird things with timing and I'm like, whoa. Okay, got you, got you. So like a contrast set, I think that's what you're talking about. So yeah, we can get into like some nerdy shit like that Mm -hmm. as well. And that's more just like 
for fun, like the most important factor, like what I want to clarify is the most important factor is that we're increasing our volume gradually over time and progressive overload. But yeah, so like a contrast set, that is one interesting one. So basically what you're doing there is you'll use a compound movement. So something like a bench press, you'll do one heavy rep with about 90% of your one rep max. You'll rest for about one to two minutes you'll drop the weight a bit, and then you'll do six reps. So that one rep before those six reps is basically priming your central nervous system to be more explosive. So when you go into those six reps, you'll be able to lift heavier weight than you normally would. And since it's just one rep, it's not enough to create a lot of fatigue. So basically, you can bench press more for that six reps. You can bench more weight than you would be able to normally. So you're creating great, greater overload. Another one that I really like to use, and again, this is for more like advanced clients. So mm-hmm. it's kind of, if you're not focusing on progressive overload and whatnot, then you kind of splitting hairs a bit too much, but it's cluster sets. So here it's basically like you could do a set of eight with bench press and say you could use 135. But what if instead, which is the idea of cluster sets, we split that up into mini sets. So we're going to use 155 instead of 135. We're going to do a set of three, rest for 10 to 15 seconds, do three more, rest 10 to 15 seconds, and then do two more reps. Now there, so now, I mean, you still hit eight reps, but now with instead of, and because the rest periods are so short, you maintain a high level of fatigue in the muscles. So you still get like the same muscle building effect. You still have the same level of fatigue, so basically, again, it's just another cool way to overload it and use more weight. Yeah. Okay. That's see, that's what I wanted from you. All that that nerdy okay. shit that no one else talks about. I think that's so cool. <laughs> I um, love it. Because I mean, I think people overcomplicate a lot of this, right. but right. there's it's like I love nerding out over these things and learning things like that. Right. You know, um, I think it's cool, and I've never seen oh, anyone yeah. else post about that on social no, media. It is super. It is super interesting to get down like that rabbit hole of. So another really interesting one is something called myo reps. So I talked about earlier, like hard sets being sets with one to three reps left in the tank. Mm-hmm. So this is like the idea of what we call effective reps. So basically, the idea is the closer a rep is to failure, the more effective it is at producing hypertrophy. Because the closer we get to failure, the more muscle fibers we're fatiguing until when we finally hit failure, we fully fatigue all the muscle fibers instead of muscle group, and then we just can't move it anymore. So my reps is basically you'll do a set of like 15 to 20 reps. Basically, you take a movement to failure or near, near failure. Now, you don't want to do this with like squats or deadlifts because you'll most likely like ruin your spine so this is better served for isolation movements but again you take you take that movement to basically failure rest for three to five seconds i normally just tell people three to five deep breaths and then you're gonna rep out five more now that's not giving you enough time to fully recover so the muscles are still fully fatigued so again effective reps are reps with basically somewhere like less than three from less than three reps from failure. So for like five mini sets, you're resting three to five seconds, doing three to five more reps, 
repeating that for five mini sets. Now, since you're maintaining a high level of fatigue because you're not resting very long, that basically gives you the same effect as doing six sets of 20 with like 90 seconds rest between because all those, because you maintain such high level of fatigue by taking such short rest periods, every, every rep you do after your set of 20 is in the effective reps range. So again, instead of like, so if you're short for time, that's one I like to use a lot for clients. So like, instead of like programming six sets of 20 lateral raises with a minute rest between, we just program that. They'll still get the same training effect, but in a fraction of the time. Does all that make sense? I kind yeah. of just No, that. no, it does. I think it's so cool. Like, because I've never heard anyone talk about any of this stuff, and I think it's so cool. And people talk about, like, how lifting is boring. And I'm like, well, there's so many <laughs> things you can do to, like, oh, make yeah. it more interesting if you want. Um, right. I mean, personally, I like that. It, I think what people think of as boring, I'm like, I like it because I'm not, like, overthinking but it's right. it's fine but no that's super cool i am glad you explained that so thank you um absolutely i okay last thing i want to wrap up with is so you are like basically fat loss expert slash getting abs expert um so i want you and i never have people on here that talk about this so i want you to give your top tips for um like fat loss slash abs. I know you just wrote a guide to this. Right, right. And they overlap. So yeah. What's that? They overlap basically, which is why I'm asking it right. together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously the most important thing is having your nutrition on point. Like none of these are going to be like super sexy. It really is just the boring basics. The most important thing is that your nutrition is on point. Outside of that, just some type of resist, and that's going to be your number one priority. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, just some type of resistance training. Just because as you're getting leaner, if you're building more muscle, basically, if you don't have any muscle and you get super lean, you're straight up not going to like how you look. Mm-hmm. So definitely resistance training. It does help burn more calories. So it helps the calories outside of things as well. Get your sleep on point. Is huge again because if we undersleep, basically it all ties down to your ability to diet because that's going to be like getting abs is going to be like 90% plus just getting your diet on point. But if we don't sleep, we're not going to be able to recover. We're going to be hungrier. Um, and if you don't sleep enough, you're going to be moving less. So your needs going to be reduced. So again, that's going to take away from the size of the deficit you can create. Um, again, just your daily movement. I mean, really, just things gone super definite on this already. Just having some type of daily movement goal. So really pushing that. And then from there, like the really as far as getting abs goes, one of the least important things is actually how you train your abs. But when you do train your abs, like it really comes down to just getting a lot leaner. Like, it's going to be super hard to build your abs up thick enough to where they're visible unless you're already super lean. So that should always, the fat side of it, if you want abs, is always your priority. But, yeah, from there, like, when you do train your abs, train them, just add on, like, three to four sets of abs three to four times a week. Train in the moderate rep ranges. You don't need to do crazy high number of reps. 
again, from the perspective of talking effective reps, it's going to be a lot harder to get as much out of your sets if you're doing like super light, the high rep sets. So yeah, just training in like the 10 to 20 rep range, but really by far the most important thing to nutrition, your daily movement and your resistance training outside of that. So when you say nutrition being on point, what exactly do you mean by that? So, I mean, basically you have to be in a calorie deficit to lose fat. Okay. Okay. But then are you stuck? Then you're stuck there. When you do that, do you like reverse diet out of that? Or do you stay at like a low caloric intake? So like when you're done with your fat loss phase? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So when you're done with your fat loss phase, your body will be smaller. So you will have a lower maintenance than you had previously, right? Because of everything we talked about before, like your metabolic rate is slight, your RMR is slightly lower, you move less, just you have a smaller body. So basically, we want to find your new maintenance intake. So I do like to gradually bump people up. Like our first jump will be pretty big, like 300, 400 calories. And we're just trying to figure out like, slowly okay where can we maintain your weight where is your new maintenance intake at does that make sense like mm-hmm. once we're done with a fat loss phase say you're eating 1500 calories to lose weight mm-hmm. if you're losing on that we can guess that i mean from your rate of fat loss so if you were losing a pound of fat a week mm-hmm. we know like 3500 calories is approximately a pound of fat a week so we know we could probably bump you up like 500 calories per day and you should maintain there. So we'll bump you up pretty close to that. And then from there, we'll just gradually make adjustments, increasing a little bit more week to week, either increasing acti- increasing calories or decreasing movement a bit. So like if their step goals were really high, somewhere they could maintain, we could also be like, okay, well, let's just take that down a couple thousand calories and see how that affects you. But the goal here is to just basically find the new maintenance. So no, you don't have to stay. You don't have to stay at the same intake as you were dieting. Do be aware that like you can't just eat exactly what you did before and expect to like now maintain this new body because eating like that is like what got you there. So Mm -hmm. your new intake will be lower. But yeah, so we just gradually reverse up and try to find that new maintenance. Now the beauty of this also is for most people – as they're eating more, they'll also naturally move more. So your knee will also normally increase as you eat more. So for most people, it'll be over time, over the next month or two, they'll be able to increase their calories a lot and not put it on any fat because they're also just they're taking in more energy. Therefore, they have more energy. Therefore, they expend more energy. So, yeah, it's definitely not like, okay, it took me 1,500 calories to get here. So now this is what I have to eat for the rest of my life. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we talk about like, you know, 3,500 calories is a pound. So like you need to reduce like, you know, 3,500 3, throughout the week to mm-hmm. lose a pound. But mm-hmm. what about what's happening when people are losing weight much faster than that? Like like people, I see some people, you know, it's the week one and they dropped seven, eight pounds. What happened? Right. So, I mean, a lot of that can be water weight. So... First, if you're drastically changing your diet, so like you're going from processed foods to a lot more whole foods, you'll drop water weight really quickly. Um, If you're taking in less carbs, then your glycogen stores will be depleted. You'll also lose water super quickly. So that's probably a lot of what you're seeing there. 
And then you'll see over time it'll slow down quite a bit. Now, I mean, people can lose realistically. Like, if you have a lot of weight to lose, you can lose weight pretty rapidly, like two to three pounds a week, just by going from being super sedentary to having some type of movement goal. Mm -hmm. And again, just paying more mind your food. But yeah, the rapid, like, if you lost eight pounds in a week, I can't even do that math right now, but whatever 3,500 times eight is, yeah. it's highly unlikely that you actually created that big of a deficit. But also on the flip side, I like to use that same analogy for people. Like if they're like, their weigh-in is like three pounds heavier than it was a couple days ago. It's like, okay, do you really think you ate 10,500 calories more than you did before? It's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, no, probably not. So, okay, so you probably are, what do you think you could have ate that's made you hold more water or more stress? Anything like that. But yeah, anyways, yeah, probably water weight. Okay. Yeah. Just curious. I mean, I see it also though with like sleep and like inflammation and Mm -hmm. like those factors too. Like sometimes I'll see people, it's like they got eight hours of sleep every night and they dropped five pounds. Right. Oh yeah. Sleep is, well, sleep is such a huge one. And I mean, again, not even just, not to keep taking it back to me, but it does like, if you are, if you don't sleep as much, you're going to have so much less energy that like throughout the course of the week, you're going to burn a lot less calories. And no, yeah, sleep is, sleep is a huge one. Okay, cool. Well, that about wraps it up for me. Thanks for sharing everything. You, you're like, <laughs> you're like a genius when it comes to all this stuff. I could like pick you I am so flattered. No, I love, I love how you're all nerdy about it because not everybody <laughs> wants to nerd out on it. So thank you. Um, final thing. Okay, give people like one key takeaway. Like what's one thing that you implement with all of your clients that will just overall improve their health? The most important thing. Straight, straight up, I would say the most important thing is the self-care time. So literally just taking 10 to 20 minutes out of your day to do something that gets you out of your head, relaxes you, and makes you happy. And that time is just for you. That'll so much that'll give you such a better ability to like interact with everyone around you, love everyone around you. I think that just devoting a bit of time to yourself every day is the biggest thing you can do. Love it. Perfect. Thank you. Hey, I appreciate you for coming on this podcast. (laughs) So thank you. Can you tell everybody where they can find more from you? Yes, absolutely. So my website is barefit.com, B-A-I-R-F-I-T. And I have all kinds of articles, what on there. And then on Instagram, I'm just Jeremiah Bear. All right. Great. Thanks again, Jeremiah. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again to Jeremiah for coming on the podcast. If you want more from him, you can head to barefit.com, B-A-I-R-F-I-T.com and go to Instagram at Jeremiah Bear. All of that information will be in the show notes. If you enjoyed this, make sure you let him know, connect with him, reach out to him. I'm sure he would love to hear from you. And if you want to show some extra support, I would love it if you could leave a rating interview on iTunes. It would mean the world to me. It's a quick and easy way to show your support and help other people find out about the show. You can also help other people find out about the show by just sharing it with them, telling them about it. I told all of my Uber drivers when I was in 
Austin, Texas. Shameless plug. Tell your family. Tell your friends. When you guys share screenshots on social media, I love that. I love to know that you're listening. And of course, make sure you join our Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe, where you can connect with other listeners, make some friends, maybe meet some people in your area, get some good food. You never know what will happen. That is all I have for you this time. I hope you're having an amazing day, an awesome week, and I will chat with you again next episode. Bye.